Good morning. Happy 2019. I say that not just in the way that people wish you a happy new year, but I, I really do hope your 2019 is full of things that are a blessing, things that make you happy, and, and that all good things come from the Lord, so that that stirs up in you worship of a good Father who loves you and enjoys seeing you delight in Him. So we are beginning this year as we typically do with the January series, a four-part series. Um, we, we think there's no better way to start the year than focus on the Word of God and prayer. So the first two sermons in the series always focus on the Word of God and prayer. This year, kind of a theme of that series is for the mission. Um, we, we know that the Word of God is important. We know prayer is important. But how does it directly tie to the mission of God? Um, this, this, that was the intention when I started writing this sermon. Didn't necessarily go that way the whole time, so you'll, if you're holding me to that theme, chill out. Uh, and then the last two, last two sermons in the series, or last two sermons in the series, are going to be a focus on the sanctity of human life, corresponding with sanctity of human life Sunday, and then racial reconciliation, corresponding with the celebration and birthday of the good Dr. Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. All right, so if you didn't know, that's what we do. Uh, and we have purpose in that because it's not just about some stuff. It's not just about things, but it's about seeing our hearts align with the Word of God, submitting ourselves to the Word of God, seeing it shape us, communicating back to God and requesting things of God in prayer for this mission. And then the outflowing of that, the application of that is how we value other humans. We have two laws that sum up the law, the law of God, and that's love God and love people. And so Every year we think it's good to start there, and this year's no different. And so the Word of God as it applies to mission, the Word of God for mission, um, is, is essential for us to understand if we're going to call ourselves a missional church. We are a church. We are the church. It's not just a church building that we gather in and call this church, but it's a constant thing we talk about. We're the church every day of the week. And as a part of that, everything you do in your week, day to day, matters. Every individual member of the church, everything you do throughout your week matters because still, no, no different than when you're in this building, you are a member of this body. You represent the church. And so it's important that we understand how, that, how we depend on the Word of God if we're going to be healthy. One thing I read recently that really helped me grasp this better is I, I often think as a leader and as a member, it's important for me to be healthy so that I can lead the church to be healthy, which is true. But one thing I didn't consider as vividly until I read it is if any member of the church is unhealthy, we're all unhealthy. So, so I have a dependence not just on my, or this, the health of the church isn't dependent just on my ability to stay healthy, but everyone's ability to stay healthy. We, we have a, then a, ne- a necessity to care for our brothers and sisters and make sure one another is eating eating well, and the Word of God is our spiritual food. So in case that wasn't clear, your physical, emotional, and spiritual health matters for you, and it matters for us, and it matters for the mission of the Crossing Church. So you need to, you need to survive, and, and you need to stay healthy. And there's a sense in which every Christian kind of knows the Word of God is our food, and, and that helps us stay healthy. But I want us to see this morning that knowing some information isn't, isn't enough. I hope 
we, we leave here believing the truth of the gospel in a way that changes our behavior and changes our life throughout the week and keeps us healthy and helps us care for our brothers and sisters so that they stay healthy and motivates us to go and to bring in our long lost brothers and sisters to join this body in this good work. And all of this is for the glory of God. So when you're hungry tomorrow morning or this afternoon spiritually, it's my hope that you don't just fill your soul with junk, seeking satisfaction elsewhere. Because we feel it just like we feel physical hunger. We know we're hungry. We're missing something. And I'm telling you it's the Word of God, but I hope that we long for the Word of God and feast on the Word of the living God. But also I hope it's clear that as, as a church, as one body, that we are one organism and we need to consume the authoritative Word of God together here on Sunday mornings, but also throughout the week in our, in our DNA groups, in our missional community time. We need to be feasting on the Word of God, understanding that we need it to be a healthy body. And being healthy is a hard thing, and hard things are hard. So you know that physically, New Year's resolutions are being made. It's hard to be healthy, otherwise everyone would do it, right? Because we feel something's off when we're not, but it's just hard. I I would argue that being spiritually healthy is significantly harder because we have an enemy who does not want you to be healthy. It's not just, so physically we struggle with health because it's an effect of sin in the world, Right? tear an ACL or can't stop eating because fried chicken's delicious or whatever it is. But beyond that, when it comes to spiritual health, you're, you're at war with your flesh, your number one enemy. You're at war with the things around you, the many things that distract us in the world. And we're at war with a spiritual principality that's beyond our power, but certainly not beyond the power of our God. So, me saying these things hopefully is increasing your understanding that we have a dependence on the Word of God. When we talk about knowing the Bible, it's not just storing up information. We need to know the story. We need to feel the struggle. We need to know that we're sinners desperate for a Savior. So through God's Word, by the power of His Spirit, we comprehend the glorious truth of our redemption. We see the gospel. We believe the gospel. It brings hope. It ushers in peace that wouldn't exist otherwise. So we feel it. It's not just knowing it. We feel it. And we see the the current and continuing restoration of all things, and we have a hope for the future. So all of this is by one person, the Word, right? All of this is possible by the person work of Jesus, the Word made flesh, as Scott mentioned earlier. This, This is necessary. Christ is the center of it all. And what's most amazing about the Word of God is not that you know information or even that you feel the good things that are a blessing from God. What's most amazing about the Word of God is that through it, we know God. Like you, just like you know people because of things they say to you, right? Like you can make assumptions, you can judge them, you can prejudge them. But until you speak to them, you don't really know them. And, and because of sin, people's lack of self-awareness, you may still not know them, but you get the point. We know God through His Word. And we grow to know him more through his word. We grow to know his grace. We know his power. We know his provision. We know his promises. We know his love through his word. We see him as king. and We see him as father through his word. In the word we find a realness that shows up in pain and suffering that's so clear in scripture. And we learn how to deal with it with lamenting and with grief. And it's all through his word. Through his word we have access 
to a precious and invaluable wisdom. We find hope that is sure. We find objective, authoritative truth that cannot be found anywhere else in the world. It's by hearing the word of God that we have faith. And faith is necessary for salvation. It's through the word that we have good news. The only good news worth sharing with anyone and everyone because it's applicable to all people of all generations throughout the history of the world, throughout the entire world and every culture. This word is applicable and only this word is applicable in a way that brings salvation and hope and life and the the ability to live godly. It's only by the word. So I have a lot to say about the Bible, but the Bible also has a lot to say about itself. So I want to read several passages and we could read extensively and probably forever um, of who God is. Um, but let's look just at a few. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge and thoughts, the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him who we must give an account. Isaiah says a lot about the word of God, but one short verse, Isaiah 48, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of God remains forever. Psalm, the Psalms write tons. The longest longest scripture uh, chapter is a, a psalm just about the word of God, but not drawing from there, Psalm 18, verse 30. God, has, has, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is pure. He is a shield to all who take refuge in Him. Scripture also tells us how we are to respond and what we're to do with the word of God. Isaiah writes about that in chapter 66, verse 2. My hand has made all these things. And so they all came into being, says the Lord. This is the Lord's declaration. I will look favorably on this kind of person, one who is humble, submissive in spirit, and trembles at my word. That's how we respond to the power of this word. 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul's writing this young pastor telling him of the things in the world and, and where his dependence needs to be. Evil people and imposters will be coming or will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you, and you know that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired. Literally, that's translated, breathed out by God. And is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. In Ephesians chapter seven or six, verse seventeen, to speaking to how we're to be prepared for this spiritual battle, Paul says, Take up helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. This is the only offensive weapon in the the whole armor, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We're to fight with it. James chapter one. James is really big on understanding scripture isn't, or the word of God isn't just knowledge, but it's to be applied. And so he talks about actions speak to your faith. And And in chapter one, he writes in 21 and 22, therefore, 
ridding yourselves of moral filth and evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. And again, back to the writings of Paul to the Philippians and a church for which he's very grateful that they are living faithfully to the word. He writes in in the second chapter of Philippians, verses 14 through 16, Do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless and in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world. So how are we going to do this? By holding firm to the word of life. Then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing. He's saying if if you would just hold to the word of Christ, you can be all that God has called you to be, and I'll know that my work has not been in vain. So just in case you're feeling pressure now to live up to this calling of the word and to clean yourself up so you can be obedient, Paul also writes to the Ephesians as he's talking about marriage to husbands and wives. He uses this analogy. Uh, Really, he's using the analogy of marriage to describe Christ and his church. But he explains it like this in chapter 5 of Ephesians, verses 25 through 27, saying to the husband, Christ, love your wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing, the water by the word. So Christ cleans us by washing us with the word of God. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. So we see the power, the purity, the effectiveness, the faithfulness of God's word. And in it, we find refuge and we find strength. It exposes us and cuts us deep, but it also washes over us, removing every stain and every wrinkle. This is the word of God, living and active giving us life, giving us hope, giving us everything we could possibly need. So perhaps you feel that there's something unique about it. It's unlike anything else in this world. And even in this moment, you might feel foolish for ever turning to anything else for hope, for peace, for satisfaction. But I've said it countless times, knowledge of of this word is, is not enough. We must believe it. And how do we know that we believe we examine the fruit of your life? Where are you turning? What is your life producing? According to the word, what should your life produce? God has given us even a way to examine ourselves. One of the best indicators of gospel belief is not your knowledge of scripture, but our submission to it. Are you surrendering your life to this word? Do you really believe it has that kind of authority? Do you really believe the words you read on that page are true for you and affect your future and cleanse you of your past? Do you believe it's true and are you submitting your life to it? Do you know it? Yes, that's important. It's necessary that we know it. We study it. We examine it. We we try and interpret it by by the leading of the Spirit. It's the only way. But then do you believe it? Because that's the gift from God that's essential for your salvation. And how do you know you believe it? Have you surrendered to it? This is the test of your faith. So as you're reflecting this morning during the sermon, reflect on this question. Are you submitting your life, all of your life, to the authority of God's word? 
This is crucial for us because we desire to be a healthy church. And every individual must be healthy. We desire to be a church on mission, bringing hope and peace to a world. And how could we ever do that if we don't believe that's even true? If we're not submitting ourselves to the authority of that truth. It's, it's important you understand that you are submitting yourself to something. To what and whom we submit ourselves affects our mission. So we have to ask, what is that thing? Or who's that person? I think all Christians are guilty of, of being imperfect until we can relax. You're not going to do this perfectly. But we have a loving father with open arms who again and again says, come back to me. Come read my word. Come rest in me. Come find hope and satisfaction in the only place it can truly be found. And the unbelievers you encounter are not interested in how much you know about Scripture. They want to know you believe it. They want to feel that you love them. And you can't if you don't believe the Word of God. They're dependent on the power of the gospel working through you because you have believed a gospel that's changed you. In fact, we all benefit from this. We all benefit from this humble, submissive, and spirit approach to the Word of God. We all benefit from trembling at the Word of God because we not only believe it, but we see it as powerful and authoritative. So let's consider for a moment our submission. There's no doubt, like I said, that you have a ruling authority in your life by which you make your daily decisions, by which you, you, your thought life follows and your actions follow. So, so you are surrendering to someone or something. Someone or something has an influence in your life that is greater than the other things that influence your life. And I want to help you identify it, to lay it down, because it, it's an idol being worshipped, and to worship the living God who speaks to you through his word, who breathes life into you through his word. So if you're a Christian, it should be that the word of God is authoritative to you. But I wonder if you can determine what's actually true instead of just claiming something to be true. Given the the cornucopia of information that we take in with our eyes and our ears every day, I think it's important that we have these moments where we pause and we put forth effort to consider who and what's leading us. To make it a little easier, I'm just going to read off some things that it could be and ask you some questions as you reflect. So consider yourself. Consider your internal critic. Are you the most authoritative thing? What you think about yourself or, or how you think the world sees you? Or is it your parents or your spouse or your children or your boss or your peer group or the way you appear on social media? Consider your denomination or your theological heroes Consider your church, your pastors, because even we are not the authoritative word of God, though we seek to proclaim it faithfully. Consider professors, mentors, bosses who are inspirational. Consider the media, social media, your political party, science or statistics that are convincing Think about the role you play in this world and the categories people place you in because of those roles. So consider the expectations culture or even the church has for you if you are a man or you are a woman or you're a husband or a wife, you're a parent, you're liberal or conservative, you're white, black or brown. Think about the expectations that come with those things. Does that control you? Does that lead you to to see who you are through those lenses? What are you believing about who you are because of 
the way the world sees you, who's telling you those things. And think about these questions. What do you devote, most, devote yourself most to in life? What do you vo- devote your time and your doing to? What do you devote your thinking to? Whose thoughts, opinions, perspectives weigh the heaviest on your emotions and your decision making? What or whom do you find most persuasive? What or whom do you most often go to for affirmation, for comfort, for advice, for guidance, for inspiration? Where do you find hope when you're worried about the future? Where do you find peace when you're anxious about the present? Where do you find freedom when you're ashamed of the past? What solid ground do you stand upon when everything is falling apart everywhere? And I exhort you to go to the Word of God because by its own testament and with centuries of evidence, there is absolutely nothing in all of creation with more sufficiency to answer all of those questions than the Word of God. But do you believe that? And do your actions reflect that you believe that? Now, just in case there's someone here who excels in self-deception and you think the answer to all that is the Word of God easily for you, I want to just offer you a word of correction because no one perfectly submits to the Word of God except for one, Jesus. In fact, that's where our hope lies. Not that we would be perfect, but that He has been. It's not only did He die and rise from the dead, but He stepped into our world knowing all the temptation that would come, knowing all the suffering that was present, being the most empathetic person ever to walk the earth. So you imagine the, the pain he felt just walking through a city and seeing poverty and suffering all around him. Just being with his people who were under the oppression of a ruler who's not for their good. The Savior walked the earth with perfection, submitting his all to his Father. And perfectly submitted, the only innocent one gave up his life and became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. So there's hope, though we're imperfect, but only because of Christ. And by this amazing display of love and grace and power, we're free because of Jesus, not because you're good at it. So praise him for these things. Now, it may seem that we're free to then sin because grace is going to cover it, but Jesus says, whether or not we love him is dependent upon whether or not we obey him. Not only, it's not that we would be saved by our obedience, but our obedience reflects that we actually believe him. That we're actually, we're actually people who read his word and obey it. When we can actually read his word and obey it, it demonstrates we love him. Not that we're obligated, rather that we truly realize what he's done for us will rightly see that life can only be found in a surrender to God and a submission to His Word. So I want to encourage you, if you've not picked up on it, read your Bible. Read it hungry. Read it desperate, dependent on it. Read through it all. Don't skip the parts that you determine less inspired because they're confusing or boring. Because if you don't remember, you're flawed, not the Bible. Resist the temptation to make it a legalistic practice. 
but also resist the temptation to grow apathetic towards practicing it because you don't want it to become a legalistic practice. You'll need prayer. You'll need accountability. You'll need intentionality. I've been in ministry for like a dozen years now, which is, I know I look young. Through, with college students, with youth students, working at camps and being a pastor here, one thing that I've learned is people don't read good. They read good when it comes to things they want to read. Like if it's statistics about sports or articles that are already in a place they agree, so it's an echo chamber of things that make them feel good about their own beliefs. Or they read good when it's social media or, or a blogger that they really like and they want to be motivated by. They, they read books that are really well written about little guys who have a wand and fight bad guys. I, I never read Harry Potter. I was going to try to make some connections, but I don't have them. They read good if it's fantasy. Okay, that covers it. We read good when it's stuff that we deem good. So do we believe the Word of God is good? Do we, do we believe that it's what we need? Some practical help in this. Just do it. You got to just do it. Even when you don't want to, just do it. Find a plan. There's a lot of plans. There's some we posted on our, our church's uh, media space, the city. Go there. Read through those things. Find a plan that works. I recently found a new app called Read Scripture. I would highly recommend the app Read Scripture. It's, it's well put together. It, it goes through Scripture throughout the year and a psalm every day to meditate on. It leads you in prayer. It has videos of explanation. It's brilliant. If you really struggle, I, I'm one of those. Sometimes I study the Word for theological purposes or to prepare a sermon, but I really struggle sometimes just to sit in it and reflect on it and see its beauty and see it shape my life as a son of God, as a brother or sister of you guys. I, I really want to be healthy there so that I can be a healthy pastor. And I know I'm not alone in these things, so find a plan that works for you. Pray before you read. Pray as you're reading. If you feel distracted, pray that God would bring you back to it. Pray that he would bring it alive. Pray the Spirit would, would bring you understanding. So pray before, pray during, pray after Ask God to show you he's real through his word. And then trust the spirit to use it even when you don't feel it being used. Like if it doesn't feel like a really emotional moment, trust the spirit's still at work in a thousand ways that you can't feel or know. Read and watch summaries that are available. I mean, we have a wealth of information online and we let it go to waste. Read commentaries, uh, different translations, do what it takes. And ask questions of your pastors, of your church leaders, of your missional community, of your DNA groups. When you have questions about it or how to get better at it, ask them. Don't be ashamed. Do the mind work that's necessary. So for me, I just get distracted. I could like walk around my house reading out loud to myself and still be distracted. Just can't control my thoughts sometimes. So do whatever it takes your mind to prepare to get into it. Like remind yourself of how good it is. Find sermons, podcasts about the Word and how good it is, and then bring yourself to it. Prepare your mind. And if you're stuck in the baguettes or the bagats or whatever you want to call them and you're just not getting it, go to a psalm or a proverb, reflect on how beautiful it is, then go back because there's truth there. It's in there for a reason. Trust God to speak through it. And all of that was subpoints to the main point. Just do it. You just got to just do it. I love Nike.
And listen, what's most helpful, I think, in all of this, when I, when I, I put all this expectation on you and all these rules to follow, what's most helpful is for you to remember your father loves you. In fact, he loved you when you were his enemy. Surely he loves you now, son and daughter. You're going to fail, but your father loves you. Go back to him. When you fall, run to your father again and again and again. I hope you feel the freedom and the joy to pick up that book and dig into it. I hope that you're expectant and grateful and, and hungry when you do it. I hope that you understand that checking off the list, I read the Bible today, isn't enough. It doesn't mean you're submitting to it if you check it off your to-do list. And, it's, and I also hope you understand it's going to take discipline. The discipline to pursue joy and life in Christ. It's the most selfish thing, right? We get joy. We get to be satisfied if we just convince our flesh, you're a liar. This is my life. This is good. This is throughout the history of people of God being prone to wander. God has reminded, reminded us again and again of his love for us and our, our commands. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, following what, what's known as uh, the, the Shema, or this this calling to God's people to remember he's the Lord and, and this command, the first time it appears to love God and love people, he says in chapter six, verse six through nine, these words that I'm giving you today, and this applies to all of scripture, these words I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Not just your mind, but your heart. And to the Hebrews, heart is this immaterial state, this all of your being, it controls who you are. Let the word of God dwell in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Think here, because we're talking about the people of God, think here spiritual children. Certainly your biological kids, but also those who you lead in the faith, your spiritual children. Repeat these words to them. Talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as signs to your hands. Let them be symbols on your forehead. Write them on your doorposts of your house and on your city gates. It's saying, put this word, this truth, this life-giving source, the only objective, authoritative truth available. We'll put it everywhere. Hold it dear. Let it control all of you and pass it along. So finally, we're to this mission. This is not for you to hoard to yourself. This is not for you to indulge in with a selfish heart, but for you to see change you. And as it does, you'll have this desire as Christ did for all to know this truth. If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, certainly if you've been in this body of believers, you, you know you have a responsibility as a disciple of Christ to make disciples. Sharing this with your children, your spiritual children, is a command of God. And every disciple is commissioned by the risen Lord before his ascension to teach all that he's commanded us. So who's teaching? Every disciple of Christ. This is implied also when when the writer of Hebrews writes to the chastisement of immature believers, he says in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12 through 14, although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. You need milk, not solid food. Now everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, for those 
whose, whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. Now, read that because I'm not calling you immature. You might be, and that's all right. Have the milk. It's there for you. But the expectation is that you would grow to be a meat eater. All babies drink milk. In fact, that's all they drink. And then they grow to take in some food, and they're spoon-fed for a while until they learn to use those hands and bring them to their mouth, and they can feed themselves. And then as they grow, they eventually eat meat, unless you're in a weird vegan family or something. I don't know. Maybe there's meat allergies. Okay, there's exceptions, but you get the point. They grow to eat meat, and eventually they grow to feed others. It's all very natural. You know what's not natural? A grown man only drinking milk or expecting to be spoon-fed until they die. That's not what we're about. You may find a church that's about that. You're welcome to be a member there. Here, we want you to be fed and healthy, to bring health to this body. And we have a job to do. We have a mission before us that brings glory to our God that more and more would come into this kingdom and feast on this living word and bring life to them and to more as they grow to feed others. This isn't a stagnant thing any more than it's an event that we do on Sunday. This is our life. There's work to be done. Now, obviously, I'm all for sitting under teaching. I love the biblical call for a pastor to feed the sheep. I'm honored and grateful and humbled to be used by God to feed the sheep. But I'm hungry too. I need to be loved as your brother. I need to be encouraged. I need to be called to repentance and called with you to be sent out of this space. We only gather here to be equipped for that mission, to to celebrate a God who's faithful throughout the week. But the week is ahead of us, so we go. Now, to some, this may seem impossible. You could never see yourself as a teacher And I understand that, and I I sympathize with that. But I want to encourage you, don't look to what you think you can do. We have plenty of examples in scriptures of men and women who thought they couldn't, but God sent them anyway. Because our, our faithful Father equips us as He sends us, and He's given us all we need in His Word to rest in Him, to see that He has power, not us. In fact, He's more powerful in our weakness. It's not merely by text on a page or on a screen, but it's by a person because Christ is the word. He came in the flesh. And I, love that, I love that first John, or that John chapter 1 passage because in the Greek, there's, there's more depth than what we see. But even in the English, it's, there's beauty there. The word of God is not just word, but it's a person who dwells with us. The word in Greek is logos, so it's not just a, a philosophy, because all other religion is a philosophy, a best guess, this, this dreaming. Logos is where we get the word logic, okay? So it's, it's logical even, that he is all we need, but he brings more than just logic. He drops down into our very being and brings us life. And we know that because the word for dwell, he, he took on flesh and dwelled with us. Like the writer, John, could have used any word he wanted. There's a lot of words available for dwelling, for a place to stay, to be with. 
But the word dwell he uses is, is directly from the Septuagint, the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And he gets it from the, from the passages about the tabernacle. So the word became flesh and tabernacled with us is, is literally what it means. And that's significant if you know the Old Testament because the tabernacle was the house of God. But God didn't just dwell in the tabernacle. He specifically dwelled in the Holy of Holies where no man entered with any hint of sin. The stench of sin would cause him to drop dead. There's all these rituals to go through before he could go near it. But the word became flesh. God came to tabernacle with us, to bring the holy of holies to his people. And then he did everything necessary to make us ready to be in his presence. So to anyone who feels like you're unable, to anyone who feels like you're not enough, you're not. Christ is. And if there's anyone who thinks you are enough, if anyone would ever stand up here and proclaim truth as if they know all things, you're rebuked. That's a lie. There's no man that's enough. Don't, please, for the love of God, don't put me higher than I need to be because I can't handle that. We're sinners. And hopefully we do enough up here to show you that. But I want nothing more than for God to be clearly seen as anyone steps onto the stage or stands before you, proclaims truth. And for that very reason, I think it's most healthy that we have a plurality of individuals demonstrating leadership and their spiritual gift before you. And and you're one of those individuals. If you're a member of this church, you have been gifted by God for for the edification and the encouragement of this body, for the sake of this mission, all to the glory of God. And I wish I could fully communicate to you the depth and the power of this God who brings us together, who declares himself to be the Lord. But I can't because his thoughts are higher than mine. His ways are higher than my ways. His head is over my head. Though some are appointed to this church as leaders, he is the leader of those leaders More than the most brilliant minds and the most wise sages, he has a word that's beyond us, yet he gives it to us through himself. And so I want to take some time to demonstrate some of these things I've just said, and I think a good way to do that is to invite anyone who wants to, calm down, it's not going to get crazy, to come up here and read from the word of God. And so we're going to do that now. That may be you, and in fact, I think it is, It may be just some scripture that has always been meaningful to you. It may be uh, something that's recently spoken to you. It may be something that you know is a passage that would be meaningful to a brother or sister here that needs to hear the truth proclaimed. And I really mean anyone. So I don't know who the most immature Christian is here. I don't think a lot about that. But I would say even a non-believer in the room could read the word of God and it be effective and powerful to change things. So anyone is welcome. I'm going to have this microphone here. In just a minute, I'm going to set it on this podium. And I'm only asking you to read the Bible. Now, I know that there's strong temptation for some to preach a sermon. We've already had a sermon this morning. We don't need you to do that. (laughs) A lot of people knew who I was talking about. They looked at him. But more than the fact that we don't need another sermon... I really want to give space for the Word of God to stand on its own. You can read the reference to that passage if you'd like, but you don't even have to do that. Just read the Word of God. I'm, I'm explaining longer than I need to because I know there's some in here who need 
a moment to build the confidence. The Lord grant you that confidence. There's some of you who are thinking, what I have to say, the scripture I have to read isn't that big a deal, so I'm not going to do it. It's not about you. It's about the word of God and a demonstration that he has gifted every individual, provided you a nation with educational systems that taught you how to read. As simple as that is a gift of God so that you can come up here and proclaim what's true about him from his word. And so I'm going to pray. And as I do so, I want you to agree with me in prayer, but also take time to consider what you might read or muster together the boldness to step forward and do it. And I'm going to begin us by reading a passage. And then after some time, I'll allow for people to come up and read. And I'm okay if it goes an hour. Some of you may not be. But I really believe the Spirit of God can use this time. And I want to provide space for that. So whenever I I think it's a good time, I'll come up and I'll read another passage to close us out. And then the band will lead us in worship of the God of this Word. And I'm going to ask Scott to come. And if he'll just play along. Uh, Not just to fill the silence, but to stir in us a a, a worship, a, a worshipful atmosphere that the Word of God can stand on its own and bring glory and honor to Him. I'll go ahead and turn this mic on. I'm going to set it on this so you can just grab it and read as you will. Father, I'm so grateful for Your Word. Lord, I don't want that to just be a thing we say to start a prayer. Let it settle in. Let us see all that Your Word is. And let our hearts be filled with thanksgiving that you would love us so much that you'd give us all we need. As a loving Father that blesses us with many things to, to find joy in, to, to be happy with, and you give us, you give common grace even to sinners and, and, and people far from you, even those who would curse you with their mouths, you give grace. But certainly, to those of us who you've brought near. You're gracious and kind and faithful and you tell us about this in your word. So I pray that this, this next, the next few moments, however long they might be, if no one comes and reads, God, I, I just pray that you'd be glorified by what we know is true. And that you would open our minds to better understand, that you would, by your spirit, bring us that understanding and that salvation through your word. Give us faith. Let us see Christ as bigger than ever this year.